Welcome to Backsliding to Glory, a progressive Christian podcast and community. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to another episode. Uh, we are discussing what it's like to live life as a progression Christ, progressive Christian in the Bible Belt. And uh, as we mentioned in the last episode, there are Bible Belts all over America, especially, but I imagine there are Bible Belts all over the world. Ma- Megan, how much have you traveled internationally? You run into Quite Bible Belts? Yeah, there there are totally Bible belts elsewhere. They're maybe maybe not quite as belty. You might get uh, you know like a Bible bow, <laughs> a Bible zipper here and there. Yeah, no, there are definitely uh, fundamentalists everywhere and growing. And you know, it's not always the Bible. It, there are different religions that have you know the fundamentalist uh, clusters, and it doesn't really go all that well anywhere. Those are my favorite memes, truthfully, of religion. I don't generally like religious memes. Like, I don't really like it when you make Jesus say something cute, generally, even if it's progressive. (laughs) But I do really like when you show me a fundamentalist Christian versus a fundamentalist uh, Muslim, for instance. Like, and the the direct connection there that so few people on either side of that divide, by the way, seem to ever Mm -hmm. see. And like... Mm -hmm. Uh, well, interesting. You know, this episode, Megan. Which, by the way, let's introduce ourselves here. We didn't really do that in the beginning. I am Joel Sharpton. I'm a professional podcast producer, consultant, and and coach. Occasionally, I'm also a dad and a uh, a struggling Christian living in North Louisiana. Uh, my co-host here is I'm Megan Romer. I'm a writer um, and a part-time adult ed teacher, and a mom, and another. Uh, I'm a Yankee living in the deep, deep South. I'm in South Louisiana. Um, and yeah, that's that, those nine things are about all I do. So, so that right there, the, the Yankee living in the deep, deep South, that's going to give you uh, a, a pretty different, or I say, it's not really going to be that different. I think in the end, once we get all the way down to it, but it does give you a different background than me. Very. You know, I love the idea that uh, you're a lady and I'm a gentleman. I love the idea that you're in South Louisiana and I'm in North Louisiana because those are very different experiences in themselves, even though geographically we're only a few hours apart. Yeah, Um, yeah. But let's talk about where you come from, Megan. I I mentioned last last week, you know, I come from the small town and this fundamentalist background. What is uh, the the faith tradition that you were raised in? Okay, so I was raised in a fairly standard uh, 80s, not particularly church-going family. Um, but my grandmother, who had been raised Quaker, happened to go to the Presbyterian Church in our little town in upstate New York. And she went to the Presbyterian Church because she was friends with the minister. Everybody was friends with the minister. He was one of those guys in town. He was like Mr. Sweet Guy who everybody loved. So I used to go with my grandmother. I'm one of I don't know, like 20-something grandkids. Um, But I was the only one who went to church with grandma because I liked it. I liked music a lot, and I sang in the youth choir, and I rang handbells. Um, I'm not sure I got a whole lot out of church theologically. I think I liked putting on a dress and going and ringing handbells, which is fine. So I have no particularly negative feelings about church. I think of it as, from my childhood, I think about it more in terms of the people who I went with. And that is a perfectly reasonable, happy church memory to have. So I don't have religious trauma. Um, My grandmother, when I would ask her questions about theology, she tended to come at them with a 
the sort of Quaker bent. Um, so I'd ask about hell, and she'd say, well, <laughs> we don't really do that exactly. Um, so things like that. Uh, I And the town I'm from, I'm from a, a little tiny town outside of Ithaca, um, which is a college town. Uh, Cornell is there in Ithaca College. And um, so it's a very... It's like a lot of college towns where the where the dominant thing is a college. It's this very sort of hippie town, very progressive, um, very, uh, you know, I mean, Ithaca has been like recycling since b- before I was born because I've always recycled in my life. And so like moving to South Louisiana, yeah, like, yeah, we don't, we don't recycle here. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, I need to. And finally in Lafayette, we can recycle. I don't mean to get off on a tangent of recycling, but just these sort of culture shock things of being from a very progressive place and now being in a not so progressive place. Um, so, okay. So grew up going to the Presbyterian church. Um, as I got older, I, I stayed in my hometown when I graduated high school, went to school nearby. I found the local Quaker meeting and I went occasionally. Um, I liked silent worship. Um, and I liked right then, so 9-11, I turned 18 on September 6th, 2001. And so 9-11 was five days later. So literally my entire adult life, other than five days, has been in a post-9-11 world. And so I I liked being involved with the Quakers because I liked the peace work they were doing. I was against the Iraq War. I was against the Afghanistan War. Um just generally against occupations and uh, wars for oil. Um, I still am generally a pacifist. I'm not sure I'm as radical a pacifist because I do have some feelings about uh, what we should do to individual Nazis who are marching down our streets. But <laughs> but in terms of like large-scale war stuff, I don't believe in military-industrial complex support and have a, a real problem with the fact that our tax dollars go to so much uh, violent stuff. Uh, so anyway, so, okay, fast forward a while. I moved to Lafayette uh, to be with my son's dad. And we had my son. Yeah, so we're like living in Lafayette. He's a musician. I'm a writer. We're like kind of artsy people. I started wanting a church not long after my son was born because I thought it'd be nice to just go to church, but I could not find anything that did it for me. The Unitarians were, they didn't, the Unitarians in Lafayette, they're lovely, but God isn't even really mentioned. And I'm like, if I'm going to sit there for a whole hour on Sunday, I'm not going to like not do God. Come on. The Quaker meeting is like three people and it's in their house and they're super sweet, but it's not like an ideal t- place to take a small child. I was not thrilled with the clarity I found on most of the mainline Protestant uh, church websites specifically, but also just in sort of conversing with them. Uh, I sent a lot of emails to pastors asking questions. Are you affirming? Are you, uh, you know, where's the where's the congregation in general in terms of issues of... Uh, poverty and homelessness and war and whatnot. Um, because my understanding of Jesus is so focused on that at this point. And then along came the 2016 election. And at that point I was still active in, I was several online faith groups. Um, and when I would go to New York, 
my my son's grandparents are in New York City, um, and there's a very progressive Methodist church that we attend there. Um, who I'm really interested in watching to see what they do because they have uh, one lesbian pastor. They are have been an affirming church since the early 90s when nobody was an affirming church. Um, so it should be really interesting to see. Uh, I suspect if a if a schism happens, they will be leaders there. Um, but anyway, so I digress. So I really love that church, and I knew that wasn't going to happen in Lafayette. I wasn't going to find anything quite that way. Um, so, but after the election, I suddenly was like, oh, I really want a church. I really, really wanted one. And I was in New York on Easter of 2016, went to church at St. Paul and St. Andrew, the little Methodist. Well, it's not that little, it's, but it's not huge. It's a medium-sized church in New York. Um, it was an incredibly inspiring service. I sat next to a homeless guy. It was like, yes, this is what it means to actually open your doors and be really welcoming. And I was like, all right, coming back to Lafayette, I am going to find a church. I'm going to do it. So I came back and the next weekend was the March for Science. So uh, the local Indivisible group arranged a March for Science and we marched uh, probably a hundred of us, maybe 150 people, um, just carrying signs that said we love science and whatnot. Um, cause there was concern about science denialism, uh, specifically in the, in the Trump administration <sighs> with, uh, global warming denialism and whatnot. So then that was sort of the focus of the March for Science, though it wasn't fully a political march. I mean, it was a march for science. Like, I do legitimately think one could be a conservative and believe in science. I think it is a conservative viewpoint, in fact, to save the Louisiana coast and whatnot. But anyway, so we're marching for science. We march down the street. And as we get to the end and everybody's kind of milling around, I see a guy in a collar, a, a clerical collar. And I was like, all right, all right, Romer, don't get your hopes up. He's going to be a Jesuit and you know you're not going to be Catholic. All right, but go say hi. So I walk over to this guy, and in my incredibly graceful way, I said something like, Hi, I see you like Jesus and also science. Me too. <laughs> and he, he introduced himself, and he said hi, like a normal person, and stuck his hand out and shook, his, shook my hand. I'm the pastor at First Presbyterian, and this is my wife, and this is my son, and these are friends that we clearly have in common, and so on. And, uh, and I was like, awesome. So the next day I went to first Presbyterian with my son. Um, I did not drag his father there the first time though have since took him. And it was a very nice, very sort of traditional Presbyterian service, uh, that was familiar to me because, you know, I knew all the, the sort of liturgical elements because they were the same ones that we'd used at the church I was at as a kid. But his sermon specifically called out climate change and also mentioned uh, equality for LGBTQ people. And, you know, it wasn't a, a sort of shove it in your face kind of thing, um, which I suspect he, you know, I think he, he can't do. But I was like, oh, this is a good sermon. So we came back the next week and the next week and the next week and, and so on. And then... Uh, at some point, six months later or something, I became a member and have been ever since, which is only actually two years. 
I think that theologically, I'm much more of a Methodist, but I am happy with the PCUSA. There's, you know, there's no like rule that you have to, you can become a PCUSA member without like affirming vows to Calvin. So thank God, because I, I am not really that into Calvin. Though I, Calvin had some good points. I don't want to write off Calvin completely, but I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. Thank, thankfully, um, it's the same for Wesleyans. Uh, maybe, right, maybe we right. could call this the Wesley and Calvin were just fine fellows. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> well, uh, Canada merged, right? United Church of Canada is Presbyterian and Methodist, isn't it? Like they, they got room for both. They're really, the the reality, and I think the reality is, you know, when you get, like, hardcore denominational superfans, of which every denomination has some, um, they'll say, no, no, Presbyterians are so different from Methodists. But the reality is all of our ministers have all gone to seminary in the post-Bonhoeffer era, and they're all studying the same... Um, liberation theologians, the same sort of progressive World War II theologians, the Niebuhrs, and so on. And, you know, where the mainline congregations are mostly moving is in a very similar direction. And I think if you are out there listening and you're in some town and you're like, I don't know, should I go to the ELCA? Should I go to the, you know, PCUSA? Should I? Well, you know, just try them because odds are good that what you're hearing in the pulpit weekly is going to depend far more on the minister than on the congregation. I mean, if you really don't like a high liturgy, you might not be comfortable in an Episcopalian church or, or many Lutheran churches. But for the most part, you're going you're gonna to be able to find some theology uh, that works for you or at least lets you have your space to have your little asides or your strange little beliefs or your extremely normal beliefs, or your extremely traditional beliefs, or whatever. The mainline churches are pretty good about that. Except the Methodists who are having a bit of a... The United Methodists, I should say, who are having a bit of a moment. Um, we, we are... Bless I, y'all's heart. First of all, like, I... It, that was fascinating to, to watch the journey. And it is interesting, like, there are literally as many different origin points as there are people. Mm-hmm. And yet, the more I learn about every different, not just Christian tradition, but every different religious tradition, period, th- like, it seems that there are actually very few endpoints. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right, right, <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Like, you you basically come down in a handful of places on the general, because, like, the, the questions are, what what are the questions of faith? Like, what are the questions that faith actually answers in a, in a meaningful way? Obviously, there are questions on a moment-to-moment basis about how we live our lives, about choices that we make, about political decisions we make, about how we raise our mm-hmm. children, etc. But all of those things stem from two things. What is the relationship between man and God? Right. And secondarily, what is the relationship between man and man or mankind in itself? Like, what is the relationship between you and other people? Um, And all religious traditions effectively boil down to answering that. And then you bolt on a bunch of explanations for why we approach those two questions the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Right, and you you have an elaborate theology <laughs> to explain right. your reasoning, but like the the real point <laughs> when we get down to it, the the forty two of it all, <laughs> right, right, is what is the relationship between you and God, and what is the relationship between you and other people? It's interesting that you and I have come down so close to each other, uh, mm-hmm. even from very different places. 
mm-hmm. I do feel like Jesus lies in the margins. God lies in the margins. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it is how we interact with those parts of society, with those individuals. You know, you mentioned sitting beside the homeless man in a service and like how that was like such an experience. I imagine... <laughs> Our more traditionalist siblings listen listening to that and thinking, "Oh, you social justice warrior, you!" Right, right, right. But the it's not like listen. <laughs> there's nothing false about that. Like it's not right. it's not that she got an Instagram shot of her and the bum at church, right? right? Like that is not the point. Is not the <laughs> okay. points you get. The point is having a transformational experience by meeting someone who lives outside your own experience and yet shares your human desire to better understand their deity and to better understand their fellow man. Like, Mm -hmm. that is transformational. When you go and you see someone who has existentially less than you do, who is in a unbelievably worse position on their moment-to-moment outlook in life than you are, and yet is making things happen anyway, it transforms your life. You go back to your day job that you hated. You go back to your marriage that you were struggling with. You go back to your house where the you know the cabinets need to be repainted or the car is uh, so much older than your neighbors. And you go, all these things are fine. None of this matters. Mm-hmm. 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 And it's, it's very important, I, th- I think, as a Christian to... Not only be within a faith community, you know, I would have a hard time in a faith community that really was not actively welcoming toward uh, toward people who do not currently have homes, though I don't know that there are that many faith communities that wouldn't be welcoming in some way, um, though I, a full welcome is obviously the like, yes, shake hands with me, pass the peace, do all the things that we all do together without stigma or without noticing or without making it a thing. But it's a good challenge for yourself as a human to say, like, can I can I actually treat this person just like I would treat anybody else? Because it is very hard. It's very hard to, to not change the way you're talking or change the way you're, you know, we don't sort of decolonize our own thoughts in that way and it's a good challenge to force yourself to keep doing it simple things like not lowering your expectation for conversation or right like if you're interacting with someone of a lower economic standpoint or status the only topic of discussion should not be economic status or like their current need right right? if they are if they are hungry then feed them before you start talking about the ball game that you saw last night right but also talk to them about the ball game you saw last night yes because they have a favorite team too totally and they don't like you don't have to pretend you don't also have a house yeah yeah that's (laughs) like like, you don't have to like not talk about any material thing you exist in or near or around like it's okay to just talk about your life because they want to also just talk about their life and i mean in my experience some obviously homeless folks or i should say people who are experiencing homelessness um are as varied as any of us but in general i think this sort of thing where we're incapable of just having a conversation with somebody like okay he doesn't have a house okay <laughs> other than that i promise you can have a conversation yeah yeah I'm, I, I like it doesn't him not having a house does not make him incapable of holding a conversation with you about whatever well and, and very specifically about god 
right? Or what's yes. going on in his soul. I think the one of the yes. beautiful things I think about Methodism is the, 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 uh, the origin of small groups and the idea that they would literally start the conversation with how is it with your soul? You know, that okay. is a, that's a, it's maybe a silly, con- it's a silly question when we think about it in like the modern Christianese that we're all used to, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's, but that's not what it's about. And that's not where it comes from. It comes from human beings who have decided to live alongside each other, to share their flaws and their, and their foibles, uh, to share their shortcomings and their desires, their wishes, the things that they, the longings of their heart, right? And part of that is, how did it go with you this week, right? Like, is it falling apart at your house? Like, is there, is there a way that I can serve you on a, uh, uh, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level? I look, there's bread out front, right? Like we got cupcakes, we got cake, we got sodas, we got juice. You can get all sorts of stuff at the buffet when you walk into the church, my church anyway. And I'm sure if you're going to a church that's fairly large, you got a little buffet spread there too. Mm-hmm. So so the guy that comes in there and that needs a meal, he can find a meal. Maybe you've got a community meal. If you got this, if you got the flyers up and they need that, they can find that as well. You should be offering those things if you haven't yet, if this is a newcomer. But if this person is in your service on a week-to-week basis and you've never had a conversation about you know what what does jesus mean to you mm-hmm. what do you love most about these services w- which was your favorite pastor <laughs> you know right. like have you have you do you did you really love the last pastor and and the way that they w- could bring a sermon together like talk to them about <laughs> talk to them about stuff <laughs> not just, just like about the normal that. thing like that second hymn why would they pick that none of us can sing that high oh. like which is a an ongoing problem, <laughs> or or the weird lights in the service today, you know, like oh my right. god, what was the like, what, what was, was the media that? director doing, you know, like all of right. that stuff, like yeah, man, like they're they're a person too. Every we're all people here struggling, but that doesn't just go for the guy that you see leaving the service on a bicycle instead of in his SUV. That doesn't just go for the lady that's pushing the cart back and forth across the parking lot. That also goes for the young lesbian couple that have been attending your services for the past 6 months that you haven't said anything other than good morning to. You know, if you are if you're okay with them being in your church, and you ought to be talking to them about stuff that goes on in your church. <laughs> it also means the older couple who have, you know, the pretty nice Mercedes and who definitely have, you know, political leanings that are far to the right of yours, but who still are coming to your church, even though there is the nice lesbian couple and there is the homeless guy. So they do want something. There is something that they are getting out of a more diverse community because they could go all sorts of places where there aren't any homeless people and there aren't any lesbians. Well, very specifically, they here. could because they could build it, right? Those couples right? could just go and build their Absolutely. own church. Absolutely. And, and I so I have developed that. They're here. I've developed that relationship. I'm so glad you called that out because I wouldn't have thought about it, Megan. I have that relationship with with one gentleman and and less less to a lesser degree his wife, but a gentleman in our church specifically very wealthy, very sure that his theology and politics lie far to the right of mine. I, I mean, I don't know exactly where on the spectrum he would fall, but I guarantee it's to the, to the right of mine. But he loves me, and you can feel it when he says hello. He throws his arm around me. He shakes my hand. He welcomes folks into the, into the services. When he leans on me as a young leader in our church, right? He sees that I'm willing to get out there and involved. I'm on boards. I'm going to meetings. I'm, I want to be a part of this congregation, not just a, a consumer of it.
of it. And he leans into me in that way too. Look, I'm not always going to be around. And he offers those little bits of advice. We've had discussions about interacting with different parts of the congregation that disagree with you and the best ways to do that and how to maintain the relationships around disagreement. Uh, Those are beautiful relationships that, again, you can't have (laughs) if the only thing you ever say is Mm -hmm. hi and bye or uh, you know, you just assume that that's not, well, I'll talk to these folks over here on my corner. <laughs> yep. Get outside the pew, outside the pew. Maybe that's the name of this podcast. Outside the pew. <laughs> yeah. It, and it's hard. It's hard. I mean, it's much harder for me. And yeah, because I am a total, like if, if somebody wants to write me off as some goofy social justice warrior, it's not like a totally inaccurate uh, assessment of me and my personality. It is easier for me to have a conversation. And part of this is because I grew up very poor, but also just because it is because of my beliefs, it's easier for me to have the conversation with the homeless guy than it is for me to have the conversation with the nice old Mercedes couple who definitely voted against everything I stand for. Um, but what's easy is not the point. Yeah, we have not been called, like, we're literally called to take up our cross. Like, yeah. wh- how how can you possibly imagine that part of that cross is not dealing with the neighbor that you don't like? Like, that that is, that is all of the cross for most of us. Most of us do not live in war-torn areas. Most of us do not, do not live under economic right. oppression or sanctions. Most of us, no matter what your, your you know anti-sentient an email, most of us do not live under religious oppression either. The vast right. majority of right. the planet is under religious freedom and of expression. They can they can worship their God in any way that they want to do it. The vast majority of the planet, that is true for. There are pockets, do not get me wrong, and I don't want to downplay that at all, where all sorts of religious expression is uh, put down and and uh, oppressed in the, the most heinous way. But the idea that any of that is happening in the United States is absurd. Yeah, I mean, honestly, brief. folks, and the way you know that is because we have fundamentalist, uh, more branches that are practicing polygamy and child marriage in large sections. And as long as they're quiet and clean about it, they don't cheat on their taxes. Nobody cares. Nobody stops. Right. So like, again, if we're letting that happen on like, again, not in a rampant way, but there are pockets of America where that is absolutely absolutely true today. Then how can you possibly think that anybody is going to come in and change your Baptist hymnal? Right? Like nobody, no, nobody's going to, nobody's even going to make you marry a gay person, not both as a marriage or even in your church. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I would say that, that it's not an Olympics of oppression ever, but I would say that, that, progressive Christians are probably the ones who have to fight the most for their religious values to be, uh, to be recognized among the Christian community. Like the progressives, like, so I believe that abortion is a net good. I think it is a positive thing. I think it is a thing that is, and can be holy because I think that it, you know, the goal here is for people to live fulfilled lives and, lives as community and forcing pregnancy on people does not further that goal. And so like, aren't technically the fundamentalist Christians taking away my religious rights? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot, or, or at least they're, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not saying that I'm like actually oppressed and like, I don't, you know, I don't mind fighting. Um, but like, come on, nobody's taking away fundamentalist Christians rights to do anything. Any more than they're, you know, any more than anybody is whatever. They're, it's just the, ugh, 
<laughs> ugh, ugh is a pretty good way to describe our feeling for most of. Uh, but no, but you you said it. Uh, you said it in in our first discussion uh, before we got into to my path. You know, you talked about the idea in politics is very much the same way, right? Like the the idea that the right side demonizes the left whereas the left is like but come on guys let's all work together like that really is the way that it feels like mostly in modern it politics totally is. whereas the right side is is playing a game of domination destruction and and like we won't just beat you we have to ensure that you could never win in the future right we'll change the rules to ensure right. that you can't the game is no longer fair for you and yeah. yet the democrat side again and again and again is like but let's start in the middle guys um and i mean don't get me wrong that is on my politics that's pushed me further i'm like well fine then let's play some Same. scorched earth games too we can't do that in religion that is very clearly what christ has called us not to be we can't be a scorched earth because in building the kingdom like it is for all of us it is it is mm -hmm. for that couple as you said the mercedes driving couple that voted against yeah. all of the things that i believe in but they are also bearers of the image of God, in my opinion, and therefore mm -hmm. deserve my respect and my love. Uh, and they don't deserve my deference, right? That is the difference. Right. That's where we draw right. the line. You, your current status as mainstream does not inherently mean that my opinion or my beliefs or my existence is inherently fringe. And I think mm -hmm. that is where I say no. I say that in my politics, like uh, uh, the, the left is viewed as not being patriotic, right? Nobody loves my country more than I do. And that's why I believe the way that I do about policy is because I do love this country. I do think it is probably the best political expression in the history of humanity. It's not perfect, but it gives us the best opportunity of anything that we have currently on this planet to strive towards a more perfect union, right? That is inherent in our documents, our founding documents. And the idea that the right tells me that I'm not patriotic hurts me. It offends me deeply. Same thing with religion. When a fundamentalist Christian says that there is no progressive progressive Christianity, right. I want to say, well, there's no okay. fundamentalist Christianity, buddy. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, but it, yeah. And, and when it comes to the, the sort of Mercedes couple, loving them does not also necessarily mean letting them say and do whatever they want at all times just like you know just like as a parent letting your child eat ice cream constantly isn't loving them just, yes they love ice cream and they love you extra when you give it to them but it does not express good quality parenting to just let them have nothing but ice cream just as it does not express good loving christian community to let those who are in your community do things that are harmful to other people in your community, for example. So if the lesbian couple is feeling specifically shunned by the Mercedes couple, it's our job as the sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a straight person. I need to be the one to step in. It's people should not have to fight for their own right to not be oppressed in a political or religious space. It's our job to like, all right, no, no. 
it is not loving for me to let you just be hurtful to these other people because it's not good for them, but it's also not good for you, Mercedes couple. It's bad for your soul. And if I love you and this is even going to come off as a little fundamentalist, but if I love you, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong and what you're doing wrong is oppressing people. Yes. No, you're a hundred percent right. You have to stand in the gap. And I, I think that is another topic that we want to cover a lot is how to be an ally, how to, how to use your own, mm-hmm. uh, privilege, uh, whether that be as mm-hmm. a white person or, a, 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 a economic status or, or whatever, it, or as a man, especially, um, you know, men in our community, people that are listening to this that are, that are white males. Like we have, <laughs> I mean, listen, We've been told our entire lives that we're special. Here is a place, mm-hmm. actually, where we have a special opportunity and and ability that others don't have. You you literally can be a superhero in this way if you're a mm-hmm. white man to stand in the gap. I mean, you've seen that if you go online and you Google or go to YouTube and Google, you know, like ally expressions or something like that, mm-hmm. like you will see so many examples of young white males, especially young white women too, standing in front of people of color, uh, members of the LGBT plus community mm-hmm. that are inherently in more danger from authorities than we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether that authority be the Mercedes couple who loves mm-hmm. me and Kelly because we're this cute little white couple who have a dozen children or whatever it is. And we're just <laughs> like them when, when they started before they made all of their money and someday we'll own a Mercedes too. They can't see that same story in the couple behind us perhaps. But if we stand in front and we show them, here I am, a mirror of you in these ways that you have have it in your head. And yet I love this person behind me. I am in particular laying my life or my, you know, whatever, my status in this church or community, et cetera, et cetera, on the line to protect this person behind me. And you need to listen to them and what Mm -hmm. they're trying to say to you in this moment. Um, That is where we where we're called to be right now. That is exactly mm-hmm. what Megan and I are trying to do. That's exactly what we want you to be doing more of if you're listening to this show. Um, however much you're doing it now, you need to do more. I know that is a place where always. I fail. There's always more. Right, right. And it's and it's about and it's about yeah. daily learning oh, yeah. what places in your life that you're not even noticing the person standing up asking to be heard, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what I've found. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. evolution from like 26 or so to 37 today, like this last decade has been like, Oh, and them too? Oh, and them Uh too? (laughs) Oh, and them too? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, there was a a tweet that summed it up really concisely that I I don't have in front of me, but it it made the rounds last week that said something like, there are no voiceless people, only people you aren't listening to. Mm. It's like they have voices. That's not the issue. You're just not listening. So it's our job to kind of, uh, shepherd those voices into into our spaces. I think, not talk over, but make sure the Mercedes couple is actually listening. Amplifying and retweeting—that's what we can do, folks. Amplifying <laughs> yes. and retweeting. Yeah, um, the, I've got a I've got a client who um, a woman of color who has a show specifically along those lines, and she talks about being empowered. She says, you know, people use the word empowered. E M powered i mm-hmm. i empowered that person i empowered that person to do this that means that you have the flame and you brought it to somebody else and then allowed them mm-hmm. to use it for a while she uses the word empowered i e i n powered as in you have power and authority and a voice already it's about 
allowing others to hear it. It's about stepping forth and being bold in your own assertion, but then also finding those allies that will help call the crowd, right? Like the, mm-hmm, the ones mm-hmm. that will stand around and say, no, but listen to her. I She had mm-hmm. a great idea. Uh, let me tell you, let her tell it, but more importantly, let her tell you about it. Exactly. So um, we're going to try to do more of that. Uh, Megan, yeah. I am so thankful that you have joined me in this conversation and, and especially shared me too. a little background uh, today. Uh, I've got uh, an email for folks that they can uh, contact us now. While um, we were talking here, I've added it, backsliding to glory at gmail.com. That's where you can email us. <laughs> uh, and uh, tell us what you want from the show. Tell us your own faith journey. I, we'd love to do some episodes in the future, maybe where we just you know talk through some other people's experiences and um, mm-hmm. and hear some of their commentary i'd love to do like a uh mm-hmm. you know a, a dear diary type episode i guess i don't know about totally, how did totally. you discover progressive christianity we also offer uh offer advice dear abby style so feel free to yes i'm kidding please don't well, please no. don't ask hey, me but for advice i have no idea <laughs> i don't know what you should do yeah no you can ask us for advice well we can tell you you know if you're if you've got the Mercedes couple and you want to know how to approach them, we tell you what we'd do. That's that. That's what I was going to say specifically, specifically about that that interaction that we were talking about in this episode. But also, um, just like you talked about, about how to struggle through and find your own faith community locally. I do think congregation is important. I do think, first of all, uh, Megan, you and I are all young families. We've got children. It's helpful to have people in your life when you get sick or you have a surgery or whatever that want to help, you know, sign up and do a meal plan for you and your family. I mean, like just like on a very selfish personal level, it helps to have that community. And in the South, it's hard to find that community anywhere outside of a church, right? So if you find yourself in a city or uh, an area that your first couple of glances are not obviously going to be compatible with your own theological leanings. How do you struggle through that? How do you do the research? How do you find your corner of a congregation maybe that will be accepting uh, Megan? So those would be conversations I'd be uh, happy to help people with. And we can sort of talk, use our own examples as, as um, methods to get you there. Uh, Also though, if you're a preacher or a clergy member or, or even laity, but, but you've got a position in a church that, is struggling with these issues that you know maybe the laity is a little bit more progressive and the uh, or the clergy is a little bit more progressive and the the congregation as a whole is uh, seemingly holding to a traditionalist view. We'd love to have those conversations too. So reach out to us if you'd like. Backsliding to glory at gmail And again, check the show notes for all the links. Uh, Megan, where can they follow you on Twitter? I am at Megan Romer, M-E-G-A-N-R-O-M-E-R. And I am at The Rogue's Life on Twitter. That's probably the best place to just say hello and uh, get interacting with us on a regular basis. Until next Sunday, we'll have another episode for you. Uh, Until then, we have been your hosts, and we're all just backsliding to glory. I'm Joel. I'm Megan. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. If you know someone who would enjoy backsliding to glory, please share the show with them today and send us your comments and feedback backsliding to glory at gmail.com or find us on Twitter backslide to glory.